morning. Oh, God is good, isn't he? All right. So I was thinking a lot about what to preach about. And um, I don't know, missions is kind of an interesting thing to, to preach on because it's it's almost preached on as often as like Easter and Christmas. So you have kind of like the, the go-to passages that you, you go to and like, well, like we're... We're Assemblies of God. We're a missions organization. That's that's what we do. Um, the the church part kind of was more of an afterthought. We're established to send missionaries. That's so. This is something we're familiar with. This is part of who we are. It's in our DNA as Assemblies of God people. Um, so, like I thought, like oh, I could talk about, you know, that passage in Isaiah. You know, like here I am, Lord, send me. I'm like that's that's a good one. I'm like, well, that. That they've probably heard that one. Um, oh, the Great Commission. Yeah, you know, all of them, I'm sure they've heard that one. So like, what about, um, I don't know, Jesus sending out his disciples, you know, before he was crucified. Like, he did that, like, twice, I think. Sent them out, like, even before they really knew a whole 100% what they were doing. Well, they've probably heard that one, too. So it's like, oh, what about... Philip. I don't know why Philip came to my mind. I'm sure it was the Lord, because he's smarter than I am. So like, well, I'll talk about Philip and the Ethiopian. That's a good story. They probably heard that one, but I think I think it's not not quite as done. You know, maybe maybe the Lord will give me a fresh perspective. And then I felt like, well, let's what about let's learn more about Philip. We don't really know a lot about Philip. So I started looking at all the passages that talk about Philip, and I started to see a little bit of a pattern. So I'm going to pray real quick, and then we're going to learn. We're just going to follow I, my sermon passage called Philip's Five Steps of Faith, because I like alliteration. It's fun. Um, so we're going to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just pray that you will just bless this message, and I pray that it is your words speaking through me, not my words, um, because my words are fallible and errant and will fall short of what you want your people to hear this morning, Lord God. Holy Spirit, speak through me and hold my tongue, anything that is not of you. Bless this message and bless these people that hear it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So missions, missions is an interesting thing because we tend to see it as something that other people do. I mean, we've, we've heard, I'm, I'm sure most of you have heard countless missions sermons. You know, it's all the pray, give, go, right? If you can't go, then give. If you can't give, then pray. And always pray. you can always pray. So you should always be praying, and when you can, you should give. And if you're called, you should go, right? That, that's kind of the... But Jesus never intended it for something that special people do. I, there are people that are, have a special call to specific people groups or regions or whatever. But the point wasn't like, okay, well, you select few, you special people, you get to go into the, the frontiers and preach the gospel. The point was for everybody to share. Um, as I was, I was reading through um, a book recently, 
And one of the things that was mentioned was that God didn't create a mission for his church. He created a church for his mission. The mission came first. God's had a mission. He's had a mission since before the beginning. And he created the church to help facilitate that mission. It wasn't just like, oh, well, I have a church now. Let's find something for them to do until I come back. That, that wasn't how that went. God, God's on mission, and we need to be a part of the Part of this whole reason for the church is to facilitate God's mission and bringing about the kingdom of God. So we look at Philip. Let's go to John chapter 1. So in the first... The first step in Philip's five steps of faith, we find Jesus. Well, first we find John in verse chapter, uh, verse 35. It says, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the 10th hour or about four o'clock. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. And he, brought, and, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which translates to Peter. Then the next day, so we have two days now, the next day and then the next day after that, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So, we kind of open up with, with John. John's walking, he's got some disciples, and he sees Jesus like, that's, that's the guy. So the disciples are like, all right, he's the guy. So, so they start following him. But I just love it. So like Jesus turns just like, what do you want? <laughs> like he has no disciples. He has no retinue. I don't believe he's preached at all at this point. This is John chapter one. Like I think he, I think this is even like the first time Jesus is kind of on the scene. We see him doing anything in the book of John. Um, I think there's some verses before that, but it's still, yeah. So he gets baptized and John's like, he's the dude. So this guy's like, all right. He hasn't even started like a public ministry yet. <laughs> um, and so what do they do? They Andrew finds him and he goes and finds Peter, which I think it, it interesting just as a side note, a nice fun little tangent, that Andrew started off as a disciple of John the Baptist because he was one of those two. And then he went and got his brother. Um, I'm not sure who the other guy was. John doesn't mention him. Um, but I thought that was interesting. I didn't know that about Andrew. And then Jesus is like, all right, I'm going to head up to Galilee. And he sees Philip. He doesn't see him. He finds Philip. That's, at least in the NIV, that's how it translates. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, 
he said to him, follow me. So the first step in Philip's five steps of faith is to be found. That's, that's the first thing where Jesus finds us. We, we are lost and he finds us. And if, if you're not found yet, then you should get found. And to get found, you, you pray for Jesus to come into your heart. And if you want to do that after service, you can come forward and me or Sid or one of the elders can pray with you to do that. But we'll do that later. But right now, the, be found. So Philip, Philip's just sitting there minding his own business as far as we know. We don't know what he was doing. Jesus was walking around and he finds Philip and says, follow me. It says he's from the same town. So then what does Philip do? He, Philip, found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote. See, see where, I, where I got this from? I know it took a lot of work to come up with this, this point, you know. Only written three times in this passage. <laughs> so we're found. But that's, that's just the, the first step. Okay, remember there's, there's five steps. This is only step one. It's good. It's a good step. I mean, it's an, I mean, it's all the other steps are based on the first one. It kind of makes sense like stairs. You can't jump to the third one. You might hurt yourself. You got to stop one at a time. So first we're found. Um, praise the Lord. Because without him, well, we're, we're lost. That's kind of how that works. <laughs> there's, there's only two options. Uh, we're found. And then I love how immediately... Both with Andrew and with Philip, they immediately go and tell, I'm pretty sure Nathaniel's Philip's brother, but there's someone close to him, like, hey, we found the guy. John points to him, that's the guy. They go follow him, and they're like, I'm going to tell the next guy. We found him. We found the guy. So Jesus finds us, and then we found him in us. I don't know. It kind of goes in circles a little bit. A lot of finding going on. But then, again, we tell people, hey, we found him. These guys didn't know anything about Jesus. He didn't have to start his public ministry yet. He weren't, they weren't really disciples yet. They just saw like, okay, he's the guy. So they, they go and find somebody. So that, that, that's, you're seeing we should follow by example. We come to Jesus. We should go find people that are like, hey, we, we found the guy. We found the way to live beyond this earthly realm and all of its baggage and stuff that drags us down this is the way so we're found and then we tell people and then we follow along in Jesus' ministry God bless Philip we get to another lovely story that we've all heard probably a dozen times the feeding of the 5,000 John chapter 6 Starting with verse 1, and we're only going to go to verse 7. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, picks him out, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Thanks, Jesus. Put it on, on me. He asked this only to test him, for he already knew, he already had in mind what he was going to do. 
How would you have loved to have been Philip in that moment? <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm following you, man. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how we're supposed to feed these people. And Philip answered, eight months wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. So Philip's been following Jesus for a while now. We're, we're, we're six chapters in. He's been found. He's learning from him. But he's still stuck in the facts. He's still stuck in his human understanding. And I think a lot of us get stuck there. And some of us, even after we get to the next steps, we still kind of come back to that. It's hard to see beyond the confines of our own mind and how we perceive things. We live in a physical bodies in a physical world, and it's, it's hard to see past that sometimes. We get stuck in the details and the nitty-gritty and what we know. Thank God that he doesn't operate on what we know, right? Because <laughs> I mean, what, I, what I don't know can fill books and certainly does. <laughs> but it's not about what we know. It's not about what we are capable of. Because he could have been like, oh, the, you know, very practical thing. Like, oh, well, it's going to take this much money. It's like, well, um, let's take an offering. You know, that, that would have been a logical way. And there, I don't think there would have been anything wrong with that, right? Yeah, we'll take up an offering. We'll, we'll send somebody to go and buy some bread. And we'll eat. It'll be fine. You know, eight, eight months wages, that, that's a lot. But I, I'm sure like, we have Jesus with us. I mean, I, people will be willing to give, right? But that's, that's not the point. That's still functioning in our human understanding. Or maybe it's like, oh, well, maybe we should, um, we're near a lake. Why don't we go fish? Right? He's crossed the other side of the lake and then went on the mountainside. So he could have caught some fish and fed him that way. Again, that's what, that's what we can do. That's human understanding. See, Philip is still young in his faith. He's following. He's trying to do the right things. He's trying to follow Jesus like most of us do. But he's still stuck in his human understanding. He's still stuck in what he can see with his earthly eyes and comprehend with his earthly mind. Like, it's a lot of people, Jesus. I don't, I don't know how we're going to do this. But he's like, you don't have to know. You don't have to understand. Which I think is really hard for a lot. It's hard for me. I know. I think it's hard for a lot of us. We want, we want to understand. We want to see. Like we see the need. I see we have, um, we recently just, just moved like last week. And some of you helped with that. Thank you, by the way. Um, but in our, our old neighborhood, we had a lot of stray cats. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of a cat guy. I like animals. And so we would feed them because they're strays. They're, you know, starving. We took a couple of them in because one of them got caught in our fence and just not too bright. Um, <laughs> and we're like, we, and after I, like, I rescued from the fence and pulled her in, like, try to take care of her. Like, well, now I feel bad putting you back outside. <laughs> uh, and the other one was a scrawny little runt who walked right up to me and um, ended up having a, a tapeworm that we got some medicine to fix them. But we... We can't save them all. Like, we see the need. Like, there's a lot of cats. There's a lot of cats in this neighborhood. Like, I, you know, like we want to help them. We want to do what we can. But we, we're, 
we can only do so much. And like, we still need to feed our own pets and eat ourselves. Like, we can't keep buying cat food for neighborhood cats. We can't try to rescue all of them and then take them to the pet. And then, but we start to see, and how much more important are people than cats? We see, we walk down the street, we see lost people. We go into work, we see people going to hell. It's easy to be overwhelmed. God, Jesus, there's a lot of people. I don't know how we're going to feed them all. I don't know how we're going to reach all of them. It's going to take, and we can even tabulate, like it's going to take this many resources and this much time. We're going to need this many volunteers. And our church needs to be this big. We need to, oh, if we're going to church, there's going to be this big. Then we need to raise money. Oh, that's going to take a lot. And we start to see things in our human mind, trying to do the good things, trying to do the work of God, but we're not seeing things from the mind and the eye of Jesus. He says, don't worry about it. And of course, we know, like, Andrew finds, good old Andrew. Andrew finds the boy's like, hey, uh, I, I don't know if this will help, but um, this kid has a sack lunch. <laughs> and he's, he's willing to give it, which, again, that's a whole other sermon, sermon of, you know, we just got to be willing to give God what we have, and he'll, he'll multiply the rest. But we get stuck. We're doing the right things. We're following Jesus. But we need to, to transcend our human understanding and say, you know what, I don't have to understand I just got to be willing. So Philip's still growing, like like many of us in our faith. Um, so then we go, continuing in Philip's journey, to John chapter 14, starting with verse 1. Now at this point, this is like the end of Jesus' ministry. They have secured the room for the Last Supper. He's already washed their feet. He is going to be arrested within the next... Okay, he has a lot to tell them. This is John. John didn't want to leave any of the important stuff out. Um, but he's about to be arrested within the next few chapters. And then he's going to be crucified. This is, this is it. This is his last hurrah, spending time with... His closest friends, they've spent three years together, and so he's comforting them, because Jesus, Jesus predicts Peter's denial and his betrayal, like he's, this is all stuff that just happened in the previous chapter. So he's comforting them. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you back to be with me, that you will also, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? It's a logical response. <laughs> Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And then Philip said, good old Philip, Lord, show us the father, and that'll be enough for us. Which I think is funny. He just said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Anyway, so Jesus answered, and this, this always hurts me a little bit. 
Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time. I just want to stop there a second. That I can't imagine how Philip would have felt. Actually, I can't imagine. It would have probably been devastating. Don't you know me? It's like, I thought I was asking for a good thing. But then Jesus goes on. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than, I, than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So we get, you know, we're found, and then we, we struggle with human understanding, we get stuck in the facts and what we can see. Then we come to the Father which seems like a good place, right? Just show us the Father. I think this is where a lot of Christians get stuck. They they can be found, and yeah, we're found. In Jesus, it's awesome. They can get past the, the facts and human understanding. It's like, I'm just going to have faith, faith over fear. Yeah, you know? And they get like, I just want to, I just want to get into heaven. I just want to see the Father. Just show us the Father. And, I think a lot of us get stuck there like, oh, I just want to see the Father. We have the faith. We're, we're, we're doing the good things. You know, we're able to transcend some of that human understanding and rely on more on our faith. But then Jesus turns to him, don't you know me? Now let's just stop for a second and look at Philip's request. Show us the Father. That will be enough for us. I really th- never really thought about it before. I've read this passage f- several times. Philip's request has absolutely nothing to do with Jesus' mission. At all. Show us the Father. That will be enough for us. We should want to see the Father. But it's also a very selfish request. It has nothing to do with the people, other people. Show us your close friends, your, your intimate few, your, your, your tight homies. Show, show us the Father, and then it will, it will be good. How selfish people going to hell. I just, I just want to see the Father. I just want to get in heaven. I just want to be blessed. I just want the promises that God promised in his word. Me, me, me. I, I, I. Us, us, us. Now, I know I've said this probably almost every time that I've preached here since I've been here, but 
It's not about you. <laughs> I'll probably keep saying it because I know that's a message I need to be reminded of. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about us. It's not about radiant life. It's not even about America. It's about Jesus and his mission. It's about the kingdom of God, not the one that we're building here. We're supposed to be building his kingdom, not having him help us build ours. You catch the difference there? We're not asking God to bless us as we do all the wonderful things for him or in his name. We're building his kingdom. Period. But then, like he's, not only is it a selfish request to begin with, but then Jesus replies with, you've already seen him because you've seen me. (laughs) Like, how can you say, show us the father? I've been with you for three years. You've seen me. You've seen the father. And again, I think we get stuck. We keep trying to go for something more and like we have jesus we have him living inside of us and we're just like oh just give me more of you like he's living in you stop being like oh show me this show me this do this for me like stop it it's not about you Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is also in me? And then he goes on to say, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and I'm... I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I am doing. Let's bump the brakes there for a second. Anyone who has faith in me will do what the Son of God is doing. This is one of the reasons that I like looking at the disciples because I think they're a little easier to relate to. And like, we can say, like, oh, yes, follow Jesus' example. And, like, yeah, that sounds good, but also he's, like, God and stuff. <laughs> um, that's That seems a little intimidating. It's like, oh, just, just be like God, which, I mean, the Bible itself says to be like God. <laughs> um, I don't actually remember what verse that is, but I'm like, yeah, so like, you should do that. But also, like, we, we kind of like, oh, okay, well, We'll try. We'll give our, give it the old college try. Give it our darndest. But when you look at the disciples, like these are real people. Like, not that Jesus wasn't a real person, but you, you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> they're not, you know, divine. Um, but Jesus is saying, if you have faith, you'll do what I'm doing. If you have faith, you're going to heal the sick. If you have faith, you're going to cast out demons. If you have faith, you're going to preach the coming of the kingdom. If you have faith, you're going to minister to people. If you have faith, you're going to feed 5,000 people with a couple of loaves and some fish. I mean, not that exactly, but you know what I mean. If you have faith, you're going to do the things that I am doing. Which beckons the question, if we're not doing those things, where's our faith? But that's, again, a different sermon. So we're following this journey, and we're probably trying to figure out how this relates to missions. We're getting there, because missions is a direct correlation to our own personal faith. We're going we're gonna to see how that unfolds. So we're found, and then we, so we're, we're not lost anymore, and we move past our own human understanding, and we move into being with the Father, and we get like, okay, even more than that, it's not about us, it's doing the things that Jesus is doing. It's moving past what we can get out of it. Moving past what Jesus can do for us into what did Jesus do? 
He gave sacrificially. He gave his life for people, literally. So we move past what Jesus can, or what God or Jesus can do for us and what then we can do for our Lord. And then, continuing, because that's only step three, move on to Acts. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. So we have, obviously, Jesus crucified, resurrected, spent some time with his disciples. He ascended. Pentecost came, filled with the Holy Spirit. A bunch of people came to Jesus. It was awesome. He gave the Great Commission. All these good things. And then things start to get a little dicey. In the previous chapter, Stephen is just stoned. He is the first Christian martyr. Okay, things were going pretty good up until then. <laughs> like, yeah, we're going to preach. We're going to build the kingdom. We're going to do all the things that Jesus said. We have the Holy Spirit. We're awesome. And then, oh, crap, there's a cost. Jesus said there's going to be a cost. And um, maybe we thought that was going to look different. But now, now we're seeing it. Stephen is stoned. So, and Saul was there giving approval of his death. Good old Saul. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. So it just started with Stephen. Just sure where it didn't stop there. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Everybody's on the run. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Stop there. It just kind of makes me think, reminds me of kind of what we hear about in Nazi Germany with the Jews. Just people just, oh, this is what you believe? We're going to kick in your door and drag you off to prison. Like, it, the church was in a bad shape. <laughs> Let's just say, like, this was, this was bad times. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Stop. That's everybody. Because as everybody was scattered except the apostles, those that were scattered preached the word wherever they went. Again, some of the first missionaries. <laughs> they were not necessarily called to be missionaries. They were just preaching the good news everywhere they went, whoever they encountered. Like, hey, did you hear about this thing that happened? Hey, guess what Jesus did in my life? Hey, I got something to tell you. These weren't preachers. These were not missionaries. These were not evangelists. These were just regular folk. Okay, continuing. Verse 5. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. But I think it's not a very big passage, but I like, it's like, yeah, this is, the, the church is being persecuted, but God's still using it. Um, Amber, one of the Bible classes I took many, many years ago, um, talking about that, it's not, some believe that it may have been likely that God allowed the persecution to happen to get them to spread because they were just kind of hunker, all hunky-dory. 
hanging out. But he's like, no, I want you to like Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Like that, don't stop. <laughs> You're supposed to keep going. <laughs> yes. So, so he allowed persecution to break out. So then they were scattered. So they had to leave. <laughs> um, so it was during this, and it doesn't say necessarily that Philip was scattered, but I think he was, because he was one of the apostles, so obviously it says, except all except the apostles were scattered. But then it just says, Philip went down to a city in Samaria. Um, which seems fine. I mean, Jesus did say, you know, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, right? That, that was on the list. And many came to know Jesus. People were healed. Demons were cast out. And it brought great joy to that city. All good things, right? So this next point is being faithful. Set four. We're found. Then we, we deal with the facts. We go to the Father. We move past what the Father can do for us. And then we're faithful, doing the things that Christ said to do. Right? This, is, this is what he said. I'm just doing, just following orders, right? I would like to point out, though, that at least in this context, we don't, we don't know. But it would seem that there was nothing like, it doesn't say the Spirit led Philip to a town in Samaria. Philip just decided, this is a good way to go. I'm going to go this way. And I, I can... I, I wasn't there. That was 2,000 years ago. That would be weird if I was there. But judging by how it's phrased, it does, there's no indication that God was specifically leading him there. He was just kind of doing, just I'm just following orders. Like I'm just, I'm just doing, I'm just doing what the Bible says. You know, yeah, you should do what the Bible says. There's nothing wrong with what he's doing, but it's still, again, it's not the four steps. There's, there's still another step. It's still falling short of where God wants us to be. Again, there's nothing wrong with doing, following the Bible. There's nothing wrong with Philip going to Samaria and preaching the gospel and casting out demons and healing people. Those are all good things. We can do, who knows, we can do good things and still fall short of what God wants for us. We can do biblical things that Christ has told us to do and still fall short of where God wants us. Does that make sense? Because again, it's not about where we think is a good idea. Again, I think that might be Philip. I think Philip was a logic guy. I think he was like a hard fast because he was like he calculated out like, okay, there's this many people. This is how much bread it's going to cost. This much money. So I think in a sense, like, well, Jesus said do this, and then we do this, and then we do this. Who, who, who's like that? Who likes to plan things out? Yeah. I, I kind of go back and forth. I like plans. I like, I like flexible structure. <laughs> but I still like to have structure. If there's no structure, it's just like a jellyfish trying to run a marathon. Like, it's, <laughs> it's not going to work. <laughs> Got to have some structure, right? But... <laughs> There's nothing of the spirit in what Philip is doing here. Again, just based on how it's phrased. And again, I don't know. Maybe he felt the, the pull, but it doesn't say the spirit led him. It doesn't say that God told him. 
It didn't, there's no indication of the spirit moving in this situation other than in his preaching and obviously the miraculous signs. But as far as the going to that town in Samaria, we don't even know which town. It just says, oh, it's a small town in Samaria. Maybe it was just the best, the most logical route to go. It's like, okay, well, if we start in Jerusalem, we go out to Judea, then Samaria, and then the ends of the earth is over there. So then we'll just take a left in Albuquerque. And I, I think Philip had a plan. I think he was trying to follow Jesus within his plan. Who's ever tried to follow Jesus within their own plan? How many of that, who, who can tell me how that went? Did that, did it work? Did you have great success and the spirit moved and all sorts of people getting baptized and speaking in tongues and healing and all, all, the, all the good things and all the blessings and everybody gave a million dollars to missions? No? Who would have thunk it? But again, it's, it's a process. This is why we're following Philip because I, I, it just seems like it's, you know, we, we're, we're found, but it doesn't stop there. Then we move past our own human understanding, but it doesn't stop there. Then we move past what God can do for us and what we can do for God, but it doesn't stop there. Then we move into being faithful, like, yeah, we're doing the faithful work. We're doing the work. We're saving souls. We're healing people. Things are awesome, but it doesn't stop there. So now we finally get to Philip and the Ethiopian. I told you we were going to get there. It took a little while. Chapter 8, same chapter. Verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, stop for a second. Anybody notice something there? Let's see the, the difference between, where was it? Philip went down to a city to an angel of the Lord said to Philip. Now, I don't know if you guys are aware, throughout Scripture, that God doesn't seem to use angels a whole lot. He uses them pretty sparingly, especially when you get towards the New Testament. You don't see Jesus sending, they're not just like his errand boys. They're not doing all stuff all over the place. He usually uses other means to get people's attention. So for Philip to need an angel to stop and say, hey, go over here, <laughs> that sticks out to me. Clearly, Philip needed help getting out of his plan and his agenda to what God wanted him to do. And it doesn't say if God had tried to get his attention before now or what he may have used. It just says, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road. The desert road, not the fun one, not the way that you had planned. The desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of the queen of Ethiopia. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, of the spirit, now he's, now he's listening to the spirit, go to that chariot and stay there, stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. 
The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who was the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So there's a few things that I find interesting about this particular passage. One, we already touched on, that it, it took an angel to get Philip's attention. Um, and then, I like, after that, the Spirit told him. You know, sometimes it takes a bit for God to get our attention. Especially if we're stuck in the plan to keep God keeps saying, hey, I want you to do this. Hey, go over here. Hey, 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 hey. You're like, but God, that's not part of the plan. I drew it up already. You, still, you saw it. You were there when I did it. You know, we're going to do this, and do this, and then this, and then, and then this is going to happen. And we have this whole thing planned out. And it, it just, it's a good plan. You saw the plan. It makes sense. It's logical. You know, we even have, you know, we've already calculated the cost and everything. Like, this is, it's a good plan, God. Why won't you stick to the plan? And God's like, that's not my plan. <laughs> I have a different plan. Because I need this, this guy over here needs to hear about Jesus. So I'm going to have you walk the desert road to Gaza, which I don't actually know for sure. I didn't actually do my geography. So he was over in Samaria. And he had to do, go through a desert road through Gaza. I'm not sure where they were in relation to each other, but I, I seriously doubt that it was in the same direction that Philip was planning on going. And then the Spirit had to further prompt his heart because he sees this guy in a chariot. He says, go to that chariot and stay near it. Don't you love God's direction? He's so... So many details. He lays it all out so thoroughly so we can see exactly the mythology and everything. Like, oh, yeah, like this. No. Like, go down the desert road. Okay. I'm going to go down the desert road. How long am I walking? I'll let you know. Okay. <laughs> you see that guy over there? Yep. Go stand near his chariot. And do what? Just Okay. I'm going to go stand near the chariot. <laughs> Who knows that we, God does not owe us anything. <laughs> he doesn't know us an explanation. He doesn't know us. He doesn't, we just need to be faithful. So this last one is following. That's the last point. The last step in Philip's five steps of faith. We're found. We deal with the facts. We come to the Father and 
beyond what he can do for us. Then we're faithful in the work, but then we follow. Now, to follow, we like, I think we like the idea. We're like, oh, we're following Jesus. We're following the Lord. We're following the way. It sounds, it sounds nice. But I think we often forget that in order to follow, someone else has to be leading. You ever played follow the leader as a kid? And you have to walk exactly where the leader is going. You have to do exactly what the leader does. And if I'm not mistaken, if I'm remembering my childhood correctly, if you messed up, you had to go back to the back of the line, right? That was how it was played, right? It wasn't just me? Hmm? Yeah, okay. It's not just me then, okay. <laughs> so we're not, we're not just doing our own thing. We're not following, okay, here are the instructions. Now go come up with a plan and follow that plan. We're following Jesus, which means or in this case, the Spirit. We're following the Spirit. We need to let the Spirit lead us. If we are not letting the Spirit lead us, then we are just functioning in our own plans, and our own vague understanding of what God has in store, what He wants to do. Which, I mean, He says quite plainly, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are above your thoughts. How are we going to comprehend the, th- the mind of God to come up with a plan? I'd much rather let the Spirit lead me because I can't come up with a plan. I don't know what God's thinking. How can I? He's God. I'm me. So Jesus took the guesswork out of it. was like, yeah, just follow the Spirit. <laughs> That's all you got to do. All you got to do. It's not like it's easy, but I mean, it's a lot better than trying to come up with our own plan. Right? So we listen when God prompts us, and we are faithful to what he is asked to do, even if it means going down a desert road or talking to somebody who is, quite frankly, different from us. In this case, I mean, Philip obviously is a Jew, and this other guy is an Ethiopian. Um, for those, you, most of you know, Ethiopia is in Africa. He would have been visibly different, um, a very different culture. Um, I'm actually kind of amazed that they were able to speak the same language. That may have been the Holy Spirit. Who knows how they're able to communicate? Like that's God leads us to people different from us. He doesn't want us to stay in our own little club in our own little hangout where we're comfortable. He wants us to go walk down the desert road and talk to the guy that's different. Maybe the guy that nobody else is talking to, or the guy has very clearly different views or culture or whatever than you do. Because who's Jesus for? Is for everybody. And if you're not going to tell him, who will? Who who knows if this Ethiopian would have ever have come to Christ if it wasn't for Philip? He probably wouldn't have, because he was on his way back home. And interesting note, there was historically, through history, Ethiopia had their own church long before not long before, but before the establishment of the Catholic Church. Like, they had their own thing, and I'm pretty sure I will be willing to bet it was because of this guy. He worked for the queen. He, he was high up there. He learns about Jesus. He goes home, tells the queen. Now Ethiopia has their own church. That still persists to this day. They are their own denomination within Christendom, which I think is kind of cool. Um, would the Ethiopia have been 
become a Christian nation otherwise? Probably not. Would they have heard about Jesus eventually? Yeah, eventually. But we don't know. God leads us where he wants us to go for his plan. So so often I think we get stuck in the other stuff. And sometimes we go back. I, I still, I, I'm not going to say that I have any of this down pat. Like I, I still follow, I still struggle to follow the leading of the Spirit sometimes, a lot of times. Especially when it conflicts with what makes sense to me, <laughs> which is a lot of times. Um, I even still struggle to be faithful or to move past what God can do for me. Especially if I'm in a particular difficult season in life. I'm like, oh God. Like, please help me. Like, as we were, we were trying to find a place to move just recently, and I found it difficult to pray for things other than my own needs. Um, I know, it's shame on me. <laughs> I think we've all been there, though, right? Like, we get, stuff happens in life. So we get stuck, like, oh, Lord, please help me with this or help me with that. And huh, one of my favorite passages in the Bible is back in Job when it says, after Job prayed for his friends, then God but then, after we put others first and we put God's mission first, God is still going to take care of you. He's going to take care of your needs. And not that you shouldn't pray for yourself. You should pray for your needs. Bring everything before God, Paul says. Pray without ceasing. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Everything. You know what's included in everything? Everything. You know what's not? Nothing. There's nothing that does not fit into that basket that is everything. So if there's a thing that exists, you should pray about it. That's, that's a lot of prayer, but still. <laughs> we need to move past what God can do for us or for our church or for our family. It's not about me. It's not about you. But again, it's about God's mission. God created the church for his mission. And if we're not a part of that mission, if we're not actively doing something to reach the people that are going to hell in our neighborhood and in our lives. What are we doing here? That's the whole reason we're here, church. That's why the church is the church. It's not so we can come together, sing some songs, and feel good because we have Jesus and aren't going to hell. That's not why we're here. We're here to go out and teach other people so that way they won't go to hell either. And if you don't know anybody that doesn't know Jesus, then go out and find them. Go hang out at Starbucks. Go hang out at the library. Go. There's so many places that you can just go and hang out. I'm sure you'll find people with other common interests outside of this room, outside of this building, that don't know Jesus. And if you are following the Spirit, opportunities will present themselves. And you need to be faithful to speak. So follow Philip as we follow Jesus. Amen. So much to glean through that uh, message. Hallelujah. Amen. I just, I just love that uh, portion of scripture. Philip is really an interesting character, but especially the first part, uh, uh, he touched on it, but being found 
God's call is for everybody. But you've got to respond to that call. You can't just... You've got to respond to that call. God's arms are open wide. He's always looking for people. But we have got to learn to respond to him first. And it's an incredible journey that he takes us to. Being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Father God, we thank you once again, O God, that we have the privilege of of partnering with your mission, your plan, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Let's all stand to our feet at this time, church. challenge is not just for a few, but it's for all of us. And I teach the class at Sagu called Church Missions and Ministry. And the word, the catchphrase we use is the missio dei, which just says the mission of God. And understand when he calls us, he calls us to be part of that mission. It's not just like Pastor Seth pointed out about me and my and I. No, it's about a bigger plan that God had from before he created anything and we just get the privilege, have the privilege of partnering in a small way with what he is doing. Many times I've imagined what would happen to that that young boy if he just didn't step up. The Bible never says anything about him. It doesn't say God blessed him and multiplied everything that he had in his life. Nothing is mentioned about that kid after that. So many times in our lives and the challenge is so real that we try and hold on to what we've got instead of trusting God with the little we have and seeing the broader picture being accomplished. It's not about what's in it for me at all, church. And that's what missions is all about. It's about being available being obedient and being faithful to what the Spirit says and the Spirit leads us as God accomplishes His plan and His purpose for which He sent His Son to die for all people. (coughs) That's what we're going to commit ourselves to, church. First thing Philip did... When he responded to Christ, let's find someone else. And that's all we're going to do. Thank you, Father, once again. Thank you, God, for this message. Thank you for Philip, God, and the testimony that he has, Lord. And Lord, I pray you give us hearts that are sensitive, God, to more than just what we need, God. Teach us to pray for more than just what we want or what we need, Lord. Give us a true heart, God true heart for the lost, Lord. As much as your heart breaks for them, Lord, I pray that our hearts be broken the same way. Open our eyes, God, that we will see them like you see them, God. 
Thank you, Father, once again, Lord. I just pray, God, committing ourselves into your hands, this evening program into your hands, God, Lord. And we pray, God, in whatever way we step up in our faithful, God, Lord, that you will multiply it just as you multiplied those five loaves and two fish, God, to feed 5,000 people. We know, God, by faith, God, the sacrifice we make, God, the offerings we bring, Lord, will be multiplied, God, and many lives will be changed and transformed for your glory, God. And through eternity, God, lives will be saved, God. We thank you, Father, once again, Lord. We just commit ourselves into your hands. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.